Hello everyone, welcome once again to A Reason for Hope. How exciting it is that you're joining us for the next hour. It's all about your questions on the Bible. We are live with you on multiple platforms. You can send in your questions on the Bible. And we have uh, some wonderful guests here who love to navigate the Word with you to find the answers to your questions. So if you have a question on Scripture, it could be um, a, a certain verse that you've come across and it's confusing to you, or maybe Christianity as a whole, or the Bible as a whole, maybe um, lifestyles, maybe even something you're going through in your life, these uh, choices and directions that we, we take in our life. You'd like to know what does the Bible say, what kind of Bible counsel there might be for your circumstances, um, other worldviews perhaps, and how that relates to Christianity and the Word, anything along those lines, as long as you know we're going to use the Bible to find the answers, and as long as it's an honest and sincere question, we appreciate that as well. My name's Dave Robson. I'll be your host today. I'll be with you in all of those uh, platforms as your questions come on in with us today. It's a Tuesday. That means yeah. Bo Willett's here once again. Yes. These weeks Tuesday, go around quick. My day. It's your day. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's a little, uh, that's a little that's far a little to call it your day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a little too much. My day. Yeah, yeah. Tuesday isn't Bo Day. What does Tuesday mean? What is Tuesday? What does Tuesday mean? The day Tues. of Tuesday. I don't know. The days of Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> it's the day after Monday. But it's, I'm stoked to be here. Yeah, we're glad that you are here. Well, thank you. As well. Thank yeah, you. And also, Sean Richards, Pastor Sean Richards, how are you doing? Making enemies for the right reasons. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Making good. enemies for the right reasons. Yeah, but better than the wrong reasons. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Feels like a while since I've sat here. I guess it, I guess it was. I guess it was Thursday. Long weekend over Thanksgiving. Long week. Oh, that's what it was. That's right. Mm. Thanksgiving. How soon I forget. Did you guys have a good Thanksgiving? Yep. Yeah. Was, did you give thanks? We did. Psalm 100. That's right. That's kind of where I was focused. Yeah. Yeah. Psalm, oh, actually, Psalm 100 and 107 were the Psalms that I was kind of in. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I was in, in, a, in a turkey. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I made I a turkey it. and it went okay. I mean, it, it didn't. Dr it wasn't dry. No, that's good. Yeah, that's always. I mean, the, that's that's the nightmare. That's always the the problem, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, we're glad to be back. I know we were back yesterday as well, but it's good to have you all with us. As I mentioned, the reason for hope is a live broadcast. We're with you Monday through uh, Friday, five to six p.m. My little presentation I usually use uh, didn't want to open right before the show, so I will just go through those things by memory, and you can just watch me do that. <laughs> we will stand as amazed. I do that, as or you stand amazed. on as, radio, proceed as normal. That's right. That's right. So we, yes, we are live with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Um, it's a ministry and outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson, Arizona. So our website's a great place to go. That's a great home base for you, especially if you're someone that doesn't uh, like social media or you're boycotting social media. A lot of people are doing that these days. And also we have more control over our own website than we do those other sites, of course. So calvarychristianfellowship.com is our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. Follow the Watch Live tab and that will take you to our live page. Or the direct link for that is ccftucson.online.church. I believe that's right, ccftucson.online.church. You can literally type that in to your browser and it will take you to that same place. Or calvarychristianfellowship.com and the live tab, and you'll see us live there. You can sign in with a username and send your questions in as a chat function. And when we're offline, you'll see a, a countdown to our next event. You'll see a schedule of upcoming events, and uh, so you won't have to miss anything. Uh, we stream everything live there. We stream our services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. We have Sunday services, of course, and a Wednesday evening service, 
and also even our like men's breakfasts, we stream the teaching portion. We try to stream everything these days. Ever since COVID, we try to do a lot of online content um, for anyone that's, uh, for whatever reason, needs to be home. So check out some of our live broadcasts there. We are on Facebook as well. Uh, Facebook.com slash CCF Tucson is the link or just, uh, or, or the address I should say, or just search for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson on Facebook. We're live there as well. Another way that you can send in your question on that chat function. Don't forget to like and share and all that good stuff on Facebook. We'd appreciate that. We're live on YouTube. A Reason for Hope is the name of the channel. Just search for A Reason for Hope on YouTube. Again, don't forget to like and share and uh, subscribe and um, th click on the notification bell if you'd like to get prompted when we're live and all that good stuff. And uh, that's a great place as well for archives. If you go to the, um, the live tab on YouTube, anytime we've been live, it archives there for you automatically uh, so you can catch up on shows you missed or maybe there was a question that you want to go back over for your own study uh, for whatever, whatever reason uh, it's a great place for archives immediate archives there on YouTube we are on rumble uh, which is a newer relatively newer platform to us we're not live but we post video content there as well for you our senior pastor here Scott Richards he's not here today but he joins us um, Monday Wednesday Thursday Friday um, he is on Twitter. He's been doing a lot of just great posts about the goings on in Israel. Of course, a lot going on in the Middle East right now. And he commentates along uh, on Twitter. So things, you know, new information coming out, news articles uh, as they relate to biblical prophecy, end times, and things like that. So follow along with Scott. Uh, Scott Arthur H is his handle. Scott, letter R, number four, letter H on Twitter. And our email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. Questions for hope spelled out at gmail.com. You can send us a question there as well. Did I forget any on any uh, social media platforms? No, but I, I was, think I did. I don't think you did. I think you hit them all. But I, I just wanted to say yesterday's um, broadcast of A Reason for Hope uh, was off the charts. And uh, Pastor Scott gave a wonderful breakdown, commentary, read some articles on um, some of the sources that we recommend a lot on on this uh, show. Um, but it really answered the question of, you know, uh, who are the Palestinians? And I, I think, and talking about uh, Marxism too, and uh, kind of the West's response to Israel's um, response, if you will, to Hamas. Mm. Um, so I thought those two questions were kind of, or those two thoughts were kind of answered there is who are the Palestinians? So mm. if anybody has any questions about that, you know, you're talking to someone in your family, they don't know who the Palestinians are. You certainly can ask us. We'd love to talk about that. Um, I know Sean's always chomping at the bit <laughs> at questions like that. Sh Scott did a great job of breaking it down on um, um, Monday, yesterday, it was yes. Monday, <clears throat> that broadcast. So that was amazing. And it also um, was just great. Um, what was the second thing I was mentioning? Um, the thing about, um, uh, you know, how uh, the issues of the West and how yeah. uh, what we're seeing in our college campuses yeah. with people being very pro-Palestinian yeah. and pro-Hamas, you know, um, where that kind of where the roots of that come from in Marxism. And the reason why I pointed out is just because I was raised with a dad who is a Marxist. Um, he was I was a secular progressive. Uh, Howard Zinn, Chomsky, um, those were my prophets growing up. Um, you know, even when you're atheist, you have pastors and you have prophets, and you, have, yeah. you have evangelists. 
you know, it doesn't, it, you call yourself an atheist, but I still had all these people in my life that were feeding into me, right. you know, through books. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, when you're raised kind of with that Marxist mentality, like I was, I, I totally could rate to, relate to what Pastor Scott was saying. Hmm. The enemy is the, quote, power structure. Yeah. It is, and that power structure are the w wealthy, those that have nice houses, those that drive nice cars, those yep. kind of things. And it doesn't matter, um, you know, what they say. They're just the bad people, hmm. you know? So our arguments, me growing up, I always remember I just had a disdain, a dislike uh, for people that had anything I didn't have. Mm. Um, Which is called envy. That's right. And But instead of calling it envy... Called it social justice. We called it social justice <laughs> or things like that. And, it's a nicer term. Yeah. And, and you know, um, the hegemonical power structures are, you know, oppressing us or yeah. whatever it was. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, um, God, I look back on that and I just go... I, I could totally relate to the college students how lost I was, um, just so wrapped up in self. I just could not, could not figure it out. I was just wrapped up in, again, listening to my own prophets and pastors. Right. You know. Yeah. That were just had different names. Yeah, absolutely. You know. Yeah. So yesterday's show that was the what? November twenty seventh. Yes. Right. Yesterday. Yeah. November twenty seventh. Yeah. It was great. It was man. Yeah, I wanted to share it with everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you need more information on the issue, look up The Palestinian Delusion by Robert Spencer. He has a great overview of the history behind that. Oh, oh okay. Man, nice. awesome. that's one of the sources? Mm -hmm. Man, that's great. Yeah, Robert Spencer. I'm going to have to very look good. that up. Yeah. Yep. I got a physical copy. You can borrow it and my roommate's done with it. Really? Gosh, that sounds great. Yeah, very good. Um, well, yeah, so once again, please... Send in your questions. Uh, we won't be doing, you know, a prophecy update or anything else today. It'll just all be guided along by your questions. So whatever platform you join us on, send them in. I'll be right there with you, checking those out. Questions for hope at gmail.com as well. Questions for hope spelled out at gmail.com is our email address. I mentioned as well, if you're listening to us on the radio, we're glad you're there. Um, you are listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded. We're not live with you on the radio, so keep that in mind. But all those other platforms, we are as live as can be so um why don't we pause to pray and we have a question to kick us off and i'll get in all the uh the chat functions and see what we got coming in as well but why would you like to pray for us yep that'd be great yeah father we thank you so much for your goodness and in, in your grace towards us we just remember your unfailing love uh uh this afternoon and or and we pray that uh anything that we share would be uh, uh just from you and it, our hearts would be filled with uh, love and compassion. We thank you for all those that listen. We pray that you would build them up now in your word. In Jesus' name, mm -hmm. amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, a question from Lee. Uh, can you explain Matthew 7, 2 uh, that says, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Such an interesting verse. It can't possibly mean that you know, when we get to heaven, we'll be judged differently depending on how we judge because God's the judge and I'm sure he's got a way of doing it. But what exactly does that mean? The measure that you judge, you will be judged yourself. Well, essentially it debunks the way this passage is usually handled. The most well-quoted Bible verse, even from atheists and especially critics of Christianity, and there is a difference by the way, is Matthew 7, 1, judge not, and they usually stop there. 
But it goes on to say, lest you be judged. So notice Jesus is making a point of comparison of cause and effect. You come to conclusions, that's what judgment means, about people. They're going to come to conclusions about you. And then he goes on to explain the point of emphasis. If you judge by a certain standard, by that standard, you'll be judged. Now, understand that the audience isn't just above in heaven, but it's also here on this earth. Yes, it is true that in the same conversation Jesus said in the following the model prayer, if you do not forgive men their trespasses, your Father in heaven won't forgive you your trespasses. It's making a point of emphasis. In this, it's doing the same thing, but on a horizontal basis. If I'm going to judge others, I need to be prepared to be held to that same standard. And it goes on as well to say, with a rather hyperbolic, but still, I think, to the point illustration of someone having a speck in their eye and a two by four, (laughs) a whole plank in uh, their own eye, that they're not dealing with their own problems, but trying to solve those of others. Then he says, hypocrite, first deal with the issue in your own eye, and then you can see clearly to deal with the issue in your brother's eye. So there's a point of comparison between our standards in dealing with other people. If I am going to hold people to the standard of, and this is an example, they need to act just like Christ. Otherwise, they're not a Christian. The moment that I don't act like Christ, then they're going to also judge me as not a Christian. And no one can live according to that standard because none of us are Christ. But if, on the other hand, I'd say, you know what? I need you to show a little bit of grace in this moment. And it's coming from a guy like Bo. Well, I know he's going to be a very gracious person in most circumstances as well. I can hold him to that standard. If people are, I'm telling people myself, you need to be more truthful with how you handle God's word. Well, I can live up to that standard. I I do that Mm -hmm. already. But if on the other hand, we are hypocritical in our judgments, we come to conclusions about people in ways we don't, that's the issue he's dealing with. Verse 2 is pointing out that there is a price to pay for hypocrisy and that people can see it a mile away. So make sure that if you're going to come to judgments, not that you can't, how it's usually handled, but how you come to those judgments is in alignment with your own walk with God, which is why Matthew 5 through 7 is Jesus judging with perfect judgment. He can call people to live in perfect holiness because he is holy, but we don't. We can't. So if we're going to do something that Jesus also modeled in us, we should not only aspire to be righteous like him, but also to be gracious because he has been gracious to us. Mm, Yeah, good answer. Yeah, it is a passage that's misused quite a bit. A lot of people quote this passage, and um, and it is very famous. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I think most people know this passage even if they don't know the Bible. Right. You know, judge not. Doesn't the good book say don't judge? You know that kind (laughs) of thing. Oh, the good book. Yeah, yeah, but it it is interesting, right? Because we know we we clearly know from the scripture that when we get to heaven, um, we understand that. our judgment in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're told that we will all sit before the beam of seat of ju- uh, judgment, meaning we're all going to be judged as uh, kind of competitors in a race, yeah. um, you know, meaning we'll be judged for what we've done in Christ. Um, uh, the judgment of our salvation is finished. It is done. Um, we have passed from judgment to life. John chapter 5 tells us that. So we always want to yield a passage like this to the clear teachings throughout the scriptures. 
you know, so we know that when we get to heaven, it's not like God's going to go, well, did you, you know, did you judge that person? Okay, I'm going to judge you that way, you know, that yeah. kind of idea. And we also have to remember that Jesus shares the Sermon on the Mount, um, you know, before an audience. And, and no doubt some of that audience were people that were very much against Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so much, you know, the people were astonished when he said these things. They he said, said that he taught as one who had an authority. Right. He didn't teach like the Pharisees and the other religious leaders of the day. And so when Jesus shares these things, it is a lot of times in a, in a sense, a correction of the current uh, teaching right. that was going around the culture. So when Jesus is teaching this, there's no doubt that the Pharisees that heard this were very much offended by this kind of yeah. teaching. Right. Um, you know, that you're going to be judged with the measure of judgment that you've put on other people. Mm. I mean, think how that must have hit a Pharisee, yeah. you know, who's been judging everybody, right? right? Those religious leaders, yeah. you know, they're judging everybody, and, and God, and here God in human flesh says to them, you know what, you're going to be judged by that measure, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's pretty heavy. Yes, it is. And so, uh, you know, um, this this Sermon on the Mount uh, certainly had an impact, as we see later on in the Gospels, and uh, an impact as in the religious leaders began to hate Jesus. Right. You know. Yeah, and that was the the blasphemy, right? Because he, like you said, he didn't well, teach on behalf of God like the the, the right. teachers did. He taught of his own authority. That's <laughs> right. God, That's right. Which was blasphemous, you know. Yeah. In their, in their sight. Right, right, absolutely. <laughs> wasn't to Jesus because he was God. So. Yeah, so I think it's good if you look at the context, too, and you just realize that, wow, to the religious leaders, this must have been pretty impactful. Yeah. You know, and it's really a word for us as pastors, too, and leaders, right? Right. It's like, uh, like Sean was saying, it's very impactful for us. You yeah. know, how am I looking at people? Right. And uh, is there a measure of grace and mercy yeah. in my speech and the way I act towards people? Yeah. Or am I just quick to throw down the gauntlet? Right. You know? Right. Yeah, and in relationships, you know, I think about marriage especially as it's such an intimate relationship. But I remember a couple, I was um, uh, giving some, you know, marital counseling, and the guy was struggling with drinking. He was drinking too much, uh, according to his wife, you know, drinking every night and stuff. And it kind of came up that she was overeating. You know, she was eating and I and I try to gently suggest like do you see <laughs> that that you're really doing the same thing but just with a different substance you know he's turning to alcohol and you're turning to food and I spoke on my own struggle with that exact thing she was very offended and could not would not see that at yeah. all you know like that there's no way that's the same there's no way you know it's like yeah sure we Al wonder why he drinks alcohol <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you haven't I mean, mentioned names. Next. Yeah, sure. Sure, <laughs> alcohol is you know it's a drug and it, yeah. you know it it, it it alters you more. But I mean, I would say that overeating can do that as well. But she she wouldn't even start to to see that it was a coping mechanism, you know. So I think about things like that when we judge. When I like, oh, Bo overdoes it with blah, and yeah. I'm judge you. Um, then I, I really need to stop and actually, you know, look at my own stuff as well. It might be a different sin or a different coping thing, but. Um, I don't really sit, you know, in a place to judge like that. So I think about that as well. But yeah, it's certainly it's a very good question and uh, interesting discussion. So thank you, thank you guys, and thank you Lee for that question. 
Um, question from Peggy. This this subject it comes comes up a lot, and I'm I'm a a, a a dog owner now for about a year. I have been, <laughs> so I'm more invested in this. But uh, Peggy, sadly, that their family recently had to put uh, their pet uh, down, put their pet to sleep. And she asked, are there any passages in the Bible that support euthanasia for pets? Um, and just generally, what does the Bible say about pets and pets in heaven and that kind of thing? So amongst, I know amongst pet owners, they're like, will they be in heaven with me? And then the issue of euthanasia, I had six months ago, my dog was very sick and I thought, you know, we were gonna have to do that. And I remember calling all my friends with, with dogs, like, what do you do? When, when do you decide to, do that how do i like it was brand new information for me so is there any any biblical guidance on that kind of thing on euthanasia it's not uh something that we can necessarily support nor deny because nine times out of ten the reason why you've gone to that last resort is because you understand at that point the injury the infection the ravages of time in a fallen sinful world have brought it to the point where working to preserve their life will only prolong their suffering. Right. Now, it's an entirely different conversation when people are trying to justify euthanasia in human beings, which is why we try to be careful with that. But the mindset behind, obviously, euthanasia in pets is the same mindset you would have with pets in general, is am I acting in accordance with good stewardship of this creature? Am I modeling God God's heart to them in the same way that he would model all of creation. I think that's the best we can put it as. Right. But as far as the conversation goes to having pets in heaven, once again, we aren't given chapter and verse, but there are passages that give it a more likely than not scenario, not just that animals will be in heaven, we can prove that. Not just that God values the lives of these creatures individually, we can prove that, but that God would value these relationships to the point where there would be some merit of preserving those connections into eternity in fellowship with him. So starting with the bare bones basics, is the concept of an animal in heaven beyond the pale? And the answer is no. There's plenty of evidence of animals in heaven, not just referring to things other than humans like the angels, but also in Revelation 19, in verse 11, we read that Jesus returns on a white horse, and that wasn't something that he spontaneously created. He was in a reference point of heaven and arrived with that horse. And also note as well, the armies of heaven, the saints clothed in white linen, which was explained earlier in the chapters, are righteous acts, will be following him on horses of our own. I haven't picked out a name for mine yet, but you can maybe have that percolated in the back of your mind. If that's then the idea, we at least have uh, one species of animal in heaven, and it wouldn't therefore be, this is the conclusion and thought, beyond God's ability to introduce non-human creatures into an eternal existence, which is in the presence of God. It's not like God exhausted all of his animal-making power in Genesis 2, that makes sense, <laughs> right. Right? right? So if we're working with that assumption, then would there be a reason for God to value the lives of these animals like he would for humans? Well, we read in the book of Proverbs chapter 12, and I believe, Bo, you have that up? Oh, uh, which one? Uh, a righteous man regards the life of his animal. Yeah, I was but looking, tender, I was, which proverb is it? I think it's Proverbs 12, 11. Yeah, I'll God, verify I was, that. that's what I was looking for. I was like, there's a proverb on this. Mm. Yeah. Um, um, 10. I, 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 Proverbs 10? 12, 10. 12, 10. Yeah, yeah, a righteous man regards the life of his animal. But the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. Are cruel. 
Mm. So an example of a contrast, Solomon's putting forward a poetic comparison of a righteous man and a wicked man, but what's different about them? One of them's nice. Well, not even necessarily. They're both trying to be nice. Mm -hmm. But the wicked man is trying to be nice, and it still comes across as cruel. Mm. The righteous man is not only nice, but even towards the lowest form of life. Mm. Because if you go to the Middle East today, you see how goat herders and shepherds and these guys, you think they're like though the nice gentle bunch, you got the Betty Pope peep and the little sheep crook knocking it. No, they're rough with those things. Right. I, I, you, you pity the poor things and all they have to go through, not just before they reach the slaughterhouse, but every minute before that. So when it comes to a righteous man, someone mm. in a right relationship with God, how is that expressed mm. in the way he would treat animals? Kind of the lowliest. Yeah, so someone in a right relationship with God would regard the lives of even non-human life, mm. of animals, of lower life. And, and the book of Hebrews notes that we have been made a little lower than the angels, but then through Christ we have a name that will be exalted above them. So the idea of, and this is the point of bringing up that proverb, there being a doctrinal conclusion that God would value the lives of those animals mm. is also scriptural. We can note in Proverbs 12.10, we can note in Revelation 19.11 of the existence of animals, but what about, and this is where some inflection has to happen, introspection I guess is the word, would God see fit to preserve those relationships? You know, we of all and can name animals that we've had to see go and that we've welcomed into our lives that we'd hate to see go, yep. that a part of us goes with them because we've uh, basically developed a loving, attached relationship to them in at least some way. Would God see fit to preserve that kind of relationship? Well, let's apply it to our fellow human beings and then work down with what we already have scripturally. If what's already at place, if what's already at work is would I need anybody other than Jesus in heaven? Would the purposes of heaven, meaning eternal fellowship with God, need anyone else to exist and me be able to enjoy that the way that he intended me to, to enjoy him, to make him known, to glorify him, to be in his presence? I could be totally isolated from every other human relationship, yet we see nations will be gathered together in New Jerusalem, that the heavenly existence where God meets with his people is not an isolated experience, but a communal one. Yeah. So why would God preserve these relationships, these friendships, these familial relationships? Not in the same way, but in a unique way, where we would joy, enjoy him alongside him. Again, it's not on the basis of, you know, efficiency. It's not even on necessarily the basis of doctrine. God made us and wants us to not only enjoy him, but each other. So if that's then the case, then how would that apply to lesser, quote-unquote, life? It would, because just like they were created in the image and likeness of God and are bearing an eternal identity, just because, or just like there is a, uh, excuse me, preservation and a valid existence of animal life in heaven, and that God wouldn't see those relationships meaningless, it ultimately comes back to the best we can do with what we can work with. It's that if you need your pet to enjoy fellowship with Jesus forever, they're going to be there. Mm. God's not limited in that power. God's not, you know, restrained by his nature to say, no, I'm going to keep that pet from you. You know, cats like Lucas, uh, um, 
turtles like Morty and plenty of other animals that I could, and I'm sure you can too, it all comes back to that idea of with Jesus is what makes heaven heaven. The bigger view I have of him and the more accurate biblical view I have of him, the more reason I would have to believe that's completely within his capacity, and I can trust him to do right not only by me but them in the eternal state. Mm -hmm. That's the best we can work with. It's not a yes or no, but plenty of good reasons to believe probably. Mm, That's some good stuff. I also was thinking in the New Jerusalem at the end of the book, or the end of the Bible, that is uh, the end of the book of Revelation, you have trees, you have, which is kind of neat too, right? Because they're not human, so it's it's it kind of goes with your point that it's not like God just has this, you know, me and his him or and that's it. Mm. It's uh, there's other things that are present there, uh, things that certainly pertain to this life mm. um, that are going to resemble um, and very much bring up, you know, what we see here. Right. You know. Yeah. Certainly different. Um, certainly glorified and and all that, but. Um, um, yeah, it's it, it kind of goes along with Sean's point, because it is interesting. Is there going to be lower l- forms of life, you know, that's right. that's present uh, yeah. in this new Jerusalem place? Right. Yeah. And he is he is a creator and he's he's artistic as well. There are things yeah. even that we see that are not necessary. You know, I think Sean mentioned that, that it's not all just what's the word perfunctory yeah we see things i mean i think about sea life and just the colors and everything that yeah. aren't really necessary yeah yeah <laughs> you know because it, it's, it's just it's showing off just showing yeah just showing off exactly yeah. and the new jerusalem's you know it's built a certain way there's a construction there's so yeah god is the forever artist yeah. uh you know and this is what the psalms are always declaring in yeah. in these worship songs about the amazing uh, the amazing qualities of God. Right. He's not only a judge, he's not only a king, but he's an artist as well. Right. Just the beauty of his handiwork. That's and, right. Yeah. And so, um, you know, the Psalms bring it home that God is the artist. Right. And um, so forever the artist. That's right. Well, great. I'm sure uh, uh, all... Uh, People with uh, uh, fur babies will be pleased to hear that, <laughs> it seems likely. <laughs> um, thank you, uh, uh, Peggy, for that. I'm sorry that you've been going through that with your pet recently. Uh, question from Bob. Romans uh, 13, 1 says to subject yourself to the governing authorities, but is there a point at which we don't as Christians? Um, so Romans talks about how authorities are put in place by God, and they're there to minister to us, that God's sovereign over that. But is there a point that we we no longer follow along with our government if they are leading us away from God's um, uh, ways? Well, that's the answer. In mm. the book of Daniel, chapter 3, the famous Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego incident uh, pretty much gave us a point example of where the line is. If someone in governing authority that you are called to submit to and honor is under the Lord, then by all means, the people of Israel did when they were in Babylon, the people of uh, Judea did during the time of Jesus, especially those who followed Christ, uh, submit to Caesar that which is Caesar's, and uh, submit to God the things that are God's, give to Caesar that's Caesar's. And that's in reference to taxes, which the chapter goes on to explain. Now, that wasn't because they were a just system, far from it. The reason why taxes came up is because it was very unlawfully and crudely gathered. We don't see much difference in this world today, but at least there's fewer guns involved. The point being made, though, is this. I guess it depends where you live. When 
we're talking about submitting to governing authorities, the line was when submission to that authority requires you to submit contrary to what God has already plainly stated. Now, if you prefer, you know, lower taxes and stuff and say, well, God wouldn't make me upset. Well, that's not in his word. That's not true. And of course, if these things are upsetting to you, there is a way that you can deal with that, but it is important to fall back on what is plainly stated. If on the other hand, you have to submit to your governing authorities and no longer preaching the gospel, no longer assembling with God's people, no longer proselytizing or sharing the gospel like under Sharia law, then it is your God-bound duty to defy those laws, not because we're anarchists or rebels, but because we honor the government for the same reason we honor God. The authority comes from Him. And if they're performing their ministry, their service is unto God, contrary to His nature, then it would be just as you know, reasonable for someone to honor their father and mother, submitting to their authority by robbing a bank or beating a fellow sibling or doing something that is contrary to God's nature. That's the point. If they are representing God, you honor them as unto the Lord. If they aren't representing God or abusing said power, and what that means is in his word, then you have the opportunity to suffer persecution potentially for his name's sake. But it needs to be understood, and this is where the controversy is at of where that line is. And trust me, it's a lot more straightforward than people want it to be. When it comes to the things you don't like, that's not unbiblical. When it comes to the things that are contrary to Scripture, it's not subtle. <laughs> we see that more and more in our day and age. Right. They say, you can't preach in the street corner. Well, you can maybe go to another street corner, but if you continue to preach and get arrested, I'd say someone's being persecuted for righteousness' sake, especially if according to their own laws and ordinances is a public sidewalk and that you can, in fact, exercise those rights, but they're trying to limit them. Yeah. But if, on the other hand, you're in a situation where, you know, I'm being persecuted, why? Well, I, I evaded my taxes last year, and now they're going to collect from me. And it's just like, mm, that, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's a little bit more straightforward than I think you want it to be. So, Yeah, and it's good to see some biblical um, kind of guidance with this uh, this passage are these these ideas of what Sean's saying, which are so right on. Um, I think one example you'll want to see is in Acts chapter um, 4, and this is when Peter and John were arrested, and they go before the governor, governing body at that time, and we see a defiance to the, the government at that point, mm. where Peter and John say to them, Hey, uh, they say, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard, 19 and 20 hmm. of chapter 4. And so we see directly in the historical book of Acts a place where the early church said, we can't do that. We are under another authority that's greater than yours, and so we're going to have to go with the Lord. <laughs> you right. know, we're going to have to share the gospel. Yeah. And so, but I, I also want to balance, or not balance it, but I want, want to help um, understand um, that it is that submitting to the governing authorities is something that the scriptures teach. Paul and Peter taught this. Hmm. Um, so Peter, the same Peter that we're just looked at in Acts chapter 4, 
in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 says, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Now, this sounds very much like wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, right? right? Very much like this. Therefore, every ordinance of man we submit to for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using your liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now he goes on. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also, also to the harsh. Mm. He says, for this is commendable if because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God, right? Yeah. Blessed are you, right? If you are persecuted for righteousness sake. Right. And he says, for this, you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return, and when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Hmm. So we get an example of how to do this, and that is the examples in Christ. Jesus gives judgment over to who? The Father. Yep. So the Father can judge the government. The Father can judge the people who treat us wrongfully. Right. You know, so we see that our overall heart needs to be one of submission. We yep. see this also in Paul's writings as well. Yep. This idea of submitting, loving, caring, honoring, being those kind of people, mm -hmm. you know, not ridiculing, not critiquing, not um, being harsh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, offensive. You know, we should be people that walk in honor of other people, even right. in their positions. Right. Um, but it doesn't mean, again, we see the same Peter when it comes down to sharing the gospel, meeting together, this kind of thing. He says, I'm going to have to trust Christ on, you know, yeah. so I'm going to go against the government. Right. So we see there is a primary goal of the Christian, and that's to be a good citizen. Mm -hmm. um, but the best citizen is one that knows that the gospel is what's needed ultimately. Yeah. And for a government to say, hey, don't share the gospel, <clears throat> would go against the, the, the most good that that society needs. That's right, yeah. It makes a huge, I mean, it makes all the difference to know that we have a God who, who sees, we have a God who judges, we have a mm -hmm. God that's um, sovereign over our lives, he's mm -hmm. the shepherd and author of our life. And as you go through life and you're wronged, you know, and as you, you know, wrong people as well, but things, people seem to get away with things, you know, they don't, you know, right. and that's, and right. <laughs> they don't, but nobody gets away with anything. God right. sees it all. They may on, on a worldly level. Yeah. Psalm 73 <clears throat> is, is one that always drives the point home yeah. of that. Yeah. Those that you might think are getting away with something, right. they aren't. No, that's <laughs> right. But the P, the, that, that's what leads to our peace when we can yeah. just, not to God and understand those things, you know, yeah, um, and not have to see justice and um, yeah, not have to always, you know, just walk in pr in pride like that. Yeah, you know? like I don't want to be treated this way. I won't stand for that. That kind of thing. Yeah, we can um, just know we're gonna have our day in court. 
you know? Yeah, there's a passage that says, uh, where is it at, Sean? It says, uh, they speak evil of dignitaries. Um, it's in Jude. And it's Jude speaking of false prophets, uh, false teachers about speaking evil of angels, things they know nothing about. But I love the word dignitaries mm. because there's dignitaries on the planet too, mm. people of honor, yeah. you know? And, um, and I, I just think there's some caution there, you know? Some people just ridicule... <laughs> presidents like and other, other yeah. you know people like that prime ministers like right. like they know them right <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know personally and thing yeah. is is we don't yeah. you know we don't know yeah and, that's right and uh so we have to use some caution there yeah yeah that romans 13 is certainly a, a challenge huh yeah that god's put them in place as a as a minister right as yeah. a minister to <laughs> minister of righteousness yeah Whoa. does yeah. not uh, use the sword in vain right you know yeah very good. Great question, Bob, and thank you for that. Um, hope that helps you out. Thanks for, for being part of the show through your question. Uh, question from uh, Holly. Uh, great question. This comes up a lot as well. How old is the Earth? There's lots um, out there making claims for evolution, saying we evolved over millions or billions of years. Um, how did that theory start? So For me, it's right now. The Earth is, I know here right now <laughs> <laughs> it started yeah i don't go too far back it's at least the minute oh yeah it's at least 40 because all i know is right 40s. now yeah. <laughs> that's right yeah. sean why don't you give us the academic answer yeah sean <laughs> we, we deal with this uh a bit every now and again we yeah. won't go too much into it but the idea of old earth versus young earth and people who have a christian worldview versus those who don't your question is how did that idea get started the modern attempts to dismiss the bible are more based on assumptions you make before reading the text rather than conclusions taken from the text and that's not necessarily a bad thing if i read something that i know is false i'm concluding that because I already believe something to be true and this says something different than that. Yeah. If it says, you know, that I'm a four foot something and, you know, right. some uh, kind of oriental, then I'm going to say, no, I'm, I'm a Viking descendant and I'm 6'3", right? So that's contrary to my presuppositions. Well, when people withhold the knowledge in anything that they read, that there is in fact a creator that has the capacity to introduce new factors like this, the universe, from nothing, then they're going to have to come up with a, another explanation, and that's what's more commonly referred to as naturalism. Now, naturalism, uh, it's got a couple of origins, and I'm sure our good friend Peter Martin might be able to go more into the history of the philosophy and psychology behind it, but the modern attempts to naturalistically explain the world are taken from people like Charles Darwin and others who, coming from a naturalist worldview, that all things work in the order of the natural, the visible, the tangible, the empirical, and not the supernatural, metaphysical, and spirit, and, uh, you know, non-physical, those kinds of things. If you rule out the natural I guess, conclusion you would form from there being a cause to this universe, then you have to believe that this came by just either natural processes, because it's already here, or you take the route of 
into psychology and all this stuff, uh, solemcist, solemntry, which is the belief that you're just dreaming, that everything that exists is just you entertaining yourself in a, some bizarre hallucination or something. It's not falsifiable, so it shouldn't be taken seriously. But the idea behind the belief there is a God, the belief that he did introduce this space-time and matter, the known universe, at a point in history uh, through a conscious will. We see that through intelligent design and also with the power to cause some sort of universe. If it's a conscious entity that isn't made of space, time, or matter, that sounds like God to me. But if you would prefer to call it something else, be my guest. The point being made is this. If you then allow for the existence of an entity that could create the universe intelligently, functionally, and in a way where it works, and you also hold the laws of nature as a constant, this is where the opinions split. If we believe, for instance, that the speed of light is a constant, I, I can't remember the uh, miles per second that it is off the back of my hand right now, but when it comes to that belief, that's what leads most people to believe the universe must at least be this old, because like sand falling out of an hourglass, they see sand that has progressed up until this point and see, oh, so it must be around that time. Stars that are so far away that in order for light to reach us, that light would have had to have been consistently and constantly traveling over this set period of time with no other factors taken into consideration. That must be at least how old the universe is from our perception of it. Now, are there other things that could be introduced, not necessarily like, you know, God making the speed of light faster, for instance, that would break the universe as a concept. But the idea of gravity impacting time, for instance, that distance when you approach the speed of light starts to slow down time and affect things in weird ways. We all have seen interstellar, right? They're not taking into consideration things that we simply don't know anything about. We can only put it into equations and hope that when we finally develop the technology, if we develop the technology, we can test those things out. We don't know certain things, so we have to assume things before reading the text, and this is what leads even Bible-believing Christians to dismiss the Bible's claim that from the beginning, when God made male and female, it's noting at the beginning of creation, when Jesus cited as an authority Moses' accounts in Genesis 1 through 3 as a historical record rather than an allegorical introduction of Homo sapiens, uh, human beings, to Homo sapiens sapiens, Adam and Eve, the human beings that think that we are today. All these scientific terms, I don't want to get too much into it because this is kind of coming across as verbal vomit. But the point <laughs> being made is this. If we assume naturalism, then the natural laws like the speed of light would suggest that without any other constant, I can somewhat guess the Earth must be these many years old because light would have had to have traveled those distances for us to even see them. Mm -hmm. If I include other factors, like there's things we don't know, for instance, <laughs> should always be the assumption of scientific inquiry. If I take the Bible as an authority, if I consider Jesus a historical authority, then I'd have to conclude, given, and this is where the young Earth dates come in, the age of Adam created at day six, and I take day six as a literal sixth day, as the Hebrews would have understood it, a lunar sundown to sunset measurement. They just would have used different metrics before the first or the fourth day. That is all held in mind. I say 
well, I'm more willing to trust Jesus on this because he believed Adam was a literal person. He believed that creation was a literal event. He believed that he lived to be such and such an age before dying. We note his age to Noah's age, Noah's age to Abraham's age. We have a pretty consistent pattern. We look at it in around six to 10,000 years. Mm. But people who look at the stars mm. and measure it without all the information, like how gravity would impact time and our perception of it, like other factors that God could introduce. There's uh, minds far brighter than all of us put together in this room that have come up with theories like the white hole theory as opposed to a black hole, uh, condensed enough matter at, at creation. God introduced something that would mess with the laws of physics in the same way, yeah. because you look at, uh, I think it was Stephen Hawking's research on black holes, and he says things get pretty weird <laughs> in those areas <laughs> when gravity's that condensed. So putting this all out there. Young earth versus old earth, how old is the earth? It depends on your assumptions. If you rule out God, well then, I wonder how you think the universe got here. If you rule out supernatural involvement, then you're not turning to the Bible. If you rule out, and this is the point of emphasis, that there are things that we don't know in determining those dates, then all you have left are historical records, and creation goes to prehistory. Or is it? And that's the point. I have more reason to trust this than of scientists or scientisms yeah. that would make beliefs contrary to things that I already know to be true. And note, they're doing the same thing, just with fewer and just with less data. So how old is the Earth? When it comes to dividing fellowship over this, make sure that it's not too passionate because there are people who just respect apologetic circles and stuff and say, look, I don't study this. I trust them to have that covered, and I'm more willing to trust them and their research than you. Fine. Note the passages where Jesus cites Genesis as a literal historical event, and think on your own. Form your own conclusions, because one of the preconditions of salvation isn't necessarily believing in a young or old earth, but it does hinge on your belief in the authority of Scripture. And if you play fast and loose on the basis of naturalistic and atheist philosophy, I'd say that you're trying to play both sides of the team. And as we know, in the middle of the road, there are only yellow stripes and dead skunks. It doesn't actually deal with anything. So my position, and I'm willing to stand by it, is a young earth because Jesus handles Genesis very literally, particularly the accounts of creation. When people try to fudge the numbers or try to fit modern quote-unquote discoveries into it, they're not working with as solid data and equations as you think they are, mm -hmm. and that's the point. If I can work with a historically verified resurrection from the dead, then we've verified the existence of something supernatural. How could distant starlight reach us after over such great distances and stuff? Well, we've introduced something supernatural, haven't we? Yeah. And that's the point. If you allow for supernatural, then I think a young earth would have more reason to believe. If you can't allow a supernatural belief, then I wouldn't call you a scientist. I'd call you prejudiced. Yeah, very true. Yeah, it's interesting in Second uh, Peter chapter 3, uh, Peter says, uh, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying, where's the promise of his coming? Hey, God's supposed to come? Where's, where's the promise of right. it? Right? It says, For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. 
For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. So you can see Peter's references to the creation right. um, of Genesis and talking about even the flood, uh, mm -hmm. the worldwide flood right. that took place. Yep. But notice he talks about scoffers that come really lusting, wanting to lust. Now the, the reason why I bring this up in this kind of talk is that when I was uh, a secular, progressive, atheist guy, um, I didn't want the Bible to be true. Um, I wanted to do what I wanted to do. Yeah. I wanted to fulfill my lusts. And this is these are quotes from Jean-Paul Sartre, philosophers, Albert Camus, um, go down the list, Aldous Huxley. Um, all these atheists or existentialists over the last 150 years the reason why they've wanted to reject the Bible was to be able to fulfill their lusts. Yeah. They wanted to go and do it without any accountability. Right. And so they didn't want the Bible to be true. So when, when the bait is out there for an old earth, you know, people like me that have uh, you know, sinful lust, we take that bait. Yeah. We jump on it. Yeah. You know, oh, the earth is old? Absolutely. Yeah. What? Because it's a way for a lot of people to rationalize their behavior. Yeah. Meaning, it's it's, it's a way for us to go. The Bible can't be true. Mm -hmm. See? Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Absolutely. And then we just go get to do what we want to do. Yeah. Eat, drink, and be merry. Yeah. So for me, it was a oh 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 oh. I almost say wonderful. It was a way for me to rationalize, you know, my behavior. Yeah and to say, hey, this must be true, the science says it's true, so therefore the Bible must be false, mm -hmm. and I don't have to look into it anymore. Yeah. I don't wanna look into it anyway, yep. so I'm just gonna go my way. Yeah, you yeah. trust <laughs> the science, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. and really, really, I am, I'm not really trusting the science, I'm just wanting to do what I want to yeah. do. Yeah, and that's what <laughs> kept me from, from Christ for a couple of years you know it's like I, I knew the things that Christians didn't do yeah and yeah. I wanted to do them <laughs> right. I was a young man and I was like I don't know if I'm ready to sign up for this but you know just that invitation from God became so much bigger than it's like if I've got God in this hand and the things of the world like, yeah what am I, well what happens what am I gonna choose yeah and I love how Peter put it they walk according to their own lusts yeah right and at some point hopefully we hit bottom where we realize our lusts really aren't that good right right you know, that's right. And we start going, man. Yeah. Is something there something more? There's some got to be something, something more. more. Yep. Well, great question. Uh, coming up on the end of the show here, but a question from um, from La. What is the significance of Luke two verse two? Who is the governor of Syria? Why is he mentioned? Yeah, um, referring to Quirinius, Luke being the historian that he was, he mentioned a few names, people, places, and things are what people are looking for when examining history. And since they didn't have a calendar dating system per se, what they did is they used landmarks. And so if you know Caesar Augustus, who we can verify as a historical figure, we would also use other individuals like those who were serving under him. Quirinius is governor of Syria, who reigned not once but twice over that region. And we would use those days of his time and the censuses that were performed during those times to give a general idea of when Jesus was born. Now, 
we're going to date, uh, Christmas is coming up, the historical birth of Jesus, people think, oh, like uh, 1 BC or 1 AD, right? The, the year of our Lord. No, the, the Gregorian calendar did its best, but they got a few things wrong. As far as when Jesus would have been born, at minimum, it would have had to have been 4 BC at latest around 6 BC. And why? Because the historical figure, Herod the Great, did his whole shenaniganry regarding the deaths of the infants in Bethlehem yeah. and stuff. He physically died in 4 BC. Mm-hmm. So in order for the events for Jesus's birth to take place, he would have had to have still been alive. So we would put it in that realm. Mm-hmm. It's the same historical criticism and examination that you would do with other things, like, for instance, with Quirinius. Now, people, usually Bible critics and atheists, would say, oh, well, this is actually an error. Because Quirinius, according to another historian, he was a Jewish guy named Josephus, said that Quirinius did reign over the region of Syria, and there was a tax revolt, believe it or not. People got tired of paying all these taxes around the, (laughs) I think it it was the uh, 6 to 7 AD. Now, that would, of course, be far, far too late for the events it's reporting in Herod. Now, anyone else doing history think that's ridiculous. We're willing to give a grace period of hundreds of years for most historical events, but not even that aside. We have a higher standard for the Bible. It's almost as if it's true. Well, here's the point. (laughs) I mentioned that Quirinius reigned twice for a reason, because the word in the days of, or before, or during, when Quirinius was reigning over Syria, the word protos is before. So even if you take that interpretation, it's before Quirinius was reigning over Syria and during the days of Caesar Augustus. But even if you don't take that, and I don't necessarily, it's noting the general time frame. Hey, when that person was around, mm. Julius Caesar is the big figure. Quirinius is a second reference towards the region. He's giving points of reference for people. And as those things are written down, you either are going to mince details to the point where you're misrepresenting them, or you're just going to take the facts. That's why he's referenced for historical examination. Great job, Sean. Man, the brain on this kid. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I can call him a kid because I'm old. We'll see you back same time, same place tomorrow. Thanks for being with us. God bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.